On this special episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with our old pal Melissa about the Disneyfication of love, the Tinder swindler, and our three-year anniversary. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. With me today, I have my old pal, Melissa. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And for everyone listening, this is our three-year anniversary episode and we're doing yeah. it as a yeah we're doing it as a Q&A and it is it's been 3 years which is pretty crazy uh, uh and for those of you who have no idea who my old pal Melissa is you know this podcast started off as a humor podcast <laughs> that morphed into what we do now and the original episode was episode 3 which is now episode 1 which is why it sounds so weird. It's just really bad humor. And, you know, during that episode, we were recording and you were helping me out. We were doing it at your current boyfriend's parents' house, which uh, at the time uh, was a perfect spot to do it. It was quiet. It was only us that were there. And you helped me out and it turned into a serious conversation. And then about four weeks later, I always get that wrong. It's somewhere four or five weeks later. I got an email from one listener of our show, our only listener at that time. (laughs) And they told me to do that interview style again. So everything changed once I got that email. And at that time, you know, it was a humor podcast because I was in the editing stages of a book that never got finished, which I've actually picked up to start finishing again because of how much I've learned and to kind of take everything that's gone on and, you know, fix the mistakes that were done. So that process is, is starting three years later and it's been, it's been interesting to say the least. We've helped so many people along the way and to, to think that that wasn't even the intention to begin with and then just kind of started happening and we became part of people's lives is pretty mind blowing to where we are today. And, you know, going from survivor stories, being a cathartic experience at the beginning to having people jump on and, and, and help throughout the years now when they didn't have to, uh, having support groups and doing Q and A's with professionals and getting uh, help out there. And we have other ideas of things to do as, as, as we grow. Uh, and you know, you were, you were there from, from day one and were your ground zero at your patient, your patient zero. And, and just, especially at the beginning, the, the, the biggest supporter and, and backer, and a person that encouraged me to really continue and were and always are a great sounding board uh, for me and for the show. And you've been uh, nothing but the best. So, you know, thank you for everything. Uh, and, you know, doing the anniversary. We, we, we could have done anniversary shows the other years. We just never did. I think more, mainly because you know, COVID kind of set in and things like that, but, um, it's three years and now we're doing one and, and you're here with me and I love you and, you know, I'm happy you're back in the city and that we get to see each other, even though we're not sitting in front of each other right now. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, it's, nothing could be more appropriate than us doing this anniversary show together. So thank you. Well, thank you for saying all that, and I think it's 
pretty cool, actually, that it's come full circle, and I'm back in the city, and we're doing this this show, you know? And, yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, because a lot of people haven't heard from you in a while. I think the last time they heard from you was on our last Letters to My Narcissist episode. And yeah. But before that, people might not have even – if they never listened to those letter ones, they might not have heard from you ever because um, we hadn't done one in so long. So even though for some people you're, you're new um, – you know, some people, they've heard you from the beginning, from three years ago. But for everyone who hasn't heard, this is my old pal, Melissa. She knows way too much about me. See me do some <laughs> weird things in my life. <laughs> and uh, vice versa, uh, everyone. So. And we've had a highs and lows together. That was a pun. Was it? <laughs> And uh, I think now we've known each other for 13 years. Has it been that long? Yeah, I think we've known each other now for 13 years, something like that. I think 2009. I think that's when your brother started. Your brother started working at the moon. That's when I met your brother, and then I met you through him. That makes perfect sense, actually, time-wise. Yeah. So it's been it's been a time. So, yeah. So let's just get into it. You know, this week, everyone, we are. Everyone has been discussing the Tindler, the Tindler, the Tinder <laughs> swindler, and it reminds me of a story of your brother. I won't mention it, where he was called the blind fiddler, but that's another what? story. Okay, that's another podcast. Another story. And oh, it's a funny story. So, the Tinder swindler, and we both watched the Tinder swindler. And we were going to discuss all the hallmarks that were used within the Tinder swindler and really break it down uh, how the abuse tactics were used to manipulate the other person to get them to send them tons of money. And while watching it, you know, as we do in the show, we try to find out beforehand what were the belief systems of people? What was going on in their lives? What kind of issues did they bring in with it? And they didn't really get into the depths of that at all. Besides the first person where they discuss that their beliefs was, and it sounded like they had a normal upbringing without kind of going into it, but it sounded like they had a normal upbringing mm-hmm. and their belief system was of one of Disney and that they had this Disney idea in their mind. So that got me thinking, well, let's today discuss the Disneyfication of love and the messages that they send. And then we'll get into the Tinder swindler and everything that went on there and how that belief system was taken and, you know, at that point trampled all over. Because technically, that's the kind of person the Tinder swindler was looking for someone who was looking for the Disneyfication of love. So, you know, let's just get into some Disney films that are somewhat troublesome. In a way, it might've been innocent at the time of what they were doing, not realizing what they were actually saying to young women. Mm-hmm. And you being the staunch feminist that you are. Oh, boy. <laughs> you will have trouble with all of these. Well, yeah. I mean, I think for me, when you say that word, and I'm just going to be really annoying right now, because apparently the actual definition for Disneyfication refers to something else. Oh, what does that mean? Um, so it says here, in the, according to Wikipedia, it describes the commercial transformation of things, example, entertainment or environment, into something simplified, controlled, and safe, reminiscent of the Walt Disney brand, such as media and parks. So it, just in case somebody's like, I want to look this up, that that's referring to something else. What we're referring to is like, 
the way that you can be like Disney-fied in terms of what you think relationships are. You're like the Snopes. Just to clarify. You're like the Snopes.com fact checker of this show. <laughs> well, I had to look it up just to see what like the internet told me it was. So I thought I would just clarify that just in case you get an onslaught of emails about it. But well, thank you. Yeah. And, and and your new nickname is Snopes. <laughs> you know you have me around for a reason, right? So there you go. I do. And that is for fun, laughs, a good time, uh, being a good friend, always listening to me when I complain because I complain a lot. Everything except correcting <laughs> the show. <laughs> um, uh, all right. So let's just start with uh, Snow White. Yeah. In, in, in the bad messages from Snow White. So in, in Snow White, if something bad happens, just wait around for a man to come along and save you. Snow White's stepmother tries to have her killed because she's prettier than her. So she hides away in a cabin in the woods, cooking and cleaning for dwarves until the handsome prince comes along to make everything better. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very... There's no self-agency. It's very, all the characters are very, like, bereft of their own real narrative. So it definitely lends itself to a belief that you are not the maker of your destiny. And whoever comes along will sort of sweep you off your feet and decide your fate. And that's a pretty problematic way to think. And in the process of this, things that could have been clear with Snow White or, or improved would be, uh, you know, she never really does anything to help save herself. Uh, they could have done something there to help young women uh, have that pop into their head. And mm -hmm. if you got to see more of Snow White's strengths, her skills, her personality, they made her into real two-dimensional character and as you said like there was no depth to her and she was more like a bystander in her own story in her own story exactly and so that's one bad message that was sent to young woman then you have cinderella everyone and in cinderella here are the messages for you makeovers and money fix everything and Cinderella is basically treated like a slave by her ugly stepmother and sisters until one day her fairy godmother dresses her up and sends her to the ball where she meets the handsome prince who rescues her from her miserable life. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I mean, again, pretty pretty problematic story. Um, it, it seems pretty self-explanatory, but... You go ahead. What were well, you the, the other thing in here is that isn't often said is you have what Cinderella looks like, and then you have what she changes into. And quietly, I think maybe the message here that that women can get or young girls can get is if I change to what mm -hmm. this person wants me to look like or from looking this way to this other way if I change then I can be mm -hmm. loved there's also a huge class dynamic there where it's like you have like poor Cinderella and then there's rich Cinderella and if we're talking specifically about this this first woman that whose story is told in the Tinder Swindler this is very much like a Cinderella type of story where it's like Swept off by like a rich type of prince, right? So, oh, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, and I'm gonna skip over um, the Little Mermaid, and we'll go straight to Beauty and the Beast. And Beauty and the Beast, you know, the message here—it's a very, uh, what's the best way to put it? It is a very Stockholm syndrome story. So if it doesn't matter if you are kidnapped and the person you are with is abusive to you 
you can change your partner just by loving them. So Belle is kidnapped by a hideous monster who is horrible to her. But just by loving him, she's able to change him into a decent person. And that is a belief system that gets many people trapped. And mm-hmm. it's quite troublesome because in even in this story, when you look at it, they're giving her two choices. They're giving her Gaston, the disgusting, oh. like ultra overt narcissist. In the story. Yeah, like groping her and being like super creepy to her. Like, yes. Yeah, gross. So you have, you're, you're being given two terrible options here. Totally. I never thought about it like that, but you're right. I've done my research. You have. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> then from there, another thing is our normal message in a lot of the older Disney movies is that there the belief that there is a prince charming and that women should always be waiting for a prince charming and that a prince charming will fix their lives and save them from whatever whatever circumstances they're in and usually a prince charming is a male character who is rich powerful or or holds like an arist aristocratic position in society he's perfect in every single way in disney movies they usually have a wonderful voice that matches everything so that also gives young girls the idea when you grow up that you're looking for this idealized version of something that doesn't exist because everyone is flawed there is no such thing as prince charming and everyone has their flaws, and you're going to have to learn to live with flawed people because that's just the reality of, of everything. There's nothing – no one is perfect. And I guess that can be said you know, on the flip side as well. Like this is what boys are learning as well. But um, most of the time for women in situations, this is how you know boys aren't sitting here when they're younger being like – dreaming of growing up and getting married and falling in love. Like, it's just not to be sexist. Am I being too sexist here or am I being real? No, I think that's pretty real. Okay. I have to check uh, check for you if I'm being sexist. If you say I'm being sexist, <laughs> then yell at me. Anyway. No, no. I mean, I, I do think Disney's trying to change their narrative it, because of this type of criticism, but I think the old school stories are very much true of that. The other thing that I wanted to ask, if you thought that this was part of it, was the time frame in terms of how quickly these things happen. Because, like, when you watch a Disney movie, it's like, oh, like, you know, all of a sudden they're swept up their feet and they're with the person they love and they're happily ever after. And I feel like a lot of times in these stories of abuse, like, they're similar in that the people... Like, it just happens way too quickly. Yeah, well, right? uh, with uh, – that's the other thing. Love at first sight or being so overwhelmed by yes, a situation. And, like, even – I guess Cinderella is a, probably a great example. I mean, he, what, danced with her once? Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, boom, it happened. That is a real interesting point that – jumping into these things too quickly uh, without knowing who anyone is, uh, right. for, you know, exactly. and just kind of getting is, is also passed off as being normal in normal. Yes. Passed off as being normal is the right. Was what I was trying to point to is like, that's not a normal thing. And I hear you. I hear you identify that a lot in stories where you're like, at what point in the relationship is this? And people will be like, you know, somewhere like less than six months, crazy red flag. And just to go off topic for one second, the one uh, of looking up these Disney uh, type, I guess, thing or these Disneyfications of things or, or little things that you might find problematic. Uh, one that doesn't have to do with anything that we're talking about, which I found because I'm just a movie person was that most of these movies, not all of them, but uh, a, a dominant p- 
percentage of them, there is no good motherly role model in these movies at all. Oh. Well, now you know who had mommy issues. So, and I found that to be really interesting. A lot of the time it's an evil stepmother. There's witches involved. Even in the Lion King, uh, the, the, the mom, instead of like kind of fighting for them for themselves, she has to go say like, we need the dad to do everything. So there's the lack of like good solid mother role models in the, in the movies and it, it, that was because Walt Disney himself, his mom passed away in a house fire, and he felt responsible for it. And supposedly he was racked with pain and guilt and refused to portray mother figures in his films as an expression of his oh. own loss. And over time, Walt, the, after he passed away, this trend just continued. Wow. There we go with the meta meta detail. That is very interesting. Yeah. So I found that to be interesting. And now everyone with that piece of knowledge, thank you for listening to all that. And now we're going to get into the Tindler Swindler. And this is spoiler alerts for everyone. Big time spoiler alerts. So if you've not watched the Tinder Swindler, go watch it first and then come back and listen to our breakdown. So, you have uh, your mental notes up there? I do. All right. So, just to kind of give a brief overview of The Tinder Swindler, it is a documentary which can be found on, on Netflix right now. And it was started off, I guess, as a newspaper uh, investigative journalism before it was made into the documentary. And the documentary revolves mainly around two women. Eventually, a third person is brought into it toward the end. And it is about this uh, gentleman, and that's being nice, uh, who was on Tinder and swindling women out of their money from, it seemed, mostly Europe or or, or Europe-based people. And this person was a con man. It was a very elaborate scheme. It was done... To obviously he caught, so it was got caught, so it wasn't done to perfection. But while it lasted, this person swindled, they think, up to ten million dollars uh, worth of people's money, and he really did a very good job. And the first person that we see on on screen is this woman, and she was not the first case, but she was the person who kind of set things in motion as far as going to the newspapers. And she had the idea of Disney in her head. And she was all in right from the beginning. She was kind of the idea. uh, This is the thing about her that I found interesting. You know, a lot of people have never experienced abuse before and I guess my take was on her you know she came from a good family based upon all the knowledge we have it seemed obviously like a good family and in my idea of it was that she might not have known that evil like this irk uh, like lived in the world and you know even when her friends were saying this is not a good idea she was just like she couldn't think that this might not have been a good idea because she never experienced uh, someone like this. And I think if you've never experienced someone like this in the way that she never had, you kind of fly by the seat of your pants and you're looking for a good time and and, in a way looking to be swept off your feet. And I think that's in my mind, that was her mentality and, and possibly my best guess of her background thoughts. Mm-hmm. Not only that, I think that she sort of felt like, I think because she came from kind of a good background, she sort of gave this air of like, this is what I meant. This is what I deserve or like what I meant to 
do or who I'm meant to be with in a way. Like if that, if that, if that seems fair to say, like it just, she didn't seem scared by it. It was just, no, this is completely normal. Somebody like was put on the earth to lead me off my, my feet like this. And it just, to her, it seemed like a natural, like sequence of events. Which to me was like that's so odd because I, I would be scared of that, but I guess to certain people that that you know don't realize that there's that like evil out there. Interesting that she seemed like it was her destiny to sort of be like that. That was completely normal to her and almost expected. And and to explain what she was hearing was this person pretended to be a son of a billionaire from a diamond company. And right off the bat, his whole shtick was that the, you know, that a lot of the times they had to live in fear, the family, because people were always out to get them, that it was like a, a business where, um, strange things happen, and he was really kind of sowing seeds at the beginning of the beginning of preparing her for weird things to possibly happen and to come up with explanations of, of certain things as well so that 's kind of being instilled she 's seeing pictures of him you know on Instagram. Uh, kind of being jet-setting around and really plays into this wealthy playboy business guy kind of thing who's flying on his own jets and, and, and all of those things. So for someone who is looking for someone to sweep them off their feet in the, in the Disney version of a Prince Charming with an Israeli accent for some people that might be sexy, here's your guy. Mm-hmm. I know that's exactly what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely he sold it very well. And like you said, planted those seeds of like, oh, if, if something weird happens, like here's why. So the first thing that happens right off the bat here is... You know, it's a real quick first test. And what he does is he creates a sense of urgency to see how this person will react. So, you know, he's just fishing on on Tinder for whoever is in that town. And they swipe, they match, and he creates a sense of urgency saying, let's meet now because I am leaving town. Boom. Right off the bat, he's creating a situation. He's creating, mm-hmm. he's creating a need. He's creating like an excitement. He's creating a feeling. This is fun. This is, you know, um, chaotic or that yeah. there's an excitement to it. And he gets you involved into that feeling of it. And that's a real feeling that like this is not just a meeting you at a coffee shop to go on a date. This feels exciting. You know, and and that's right off the bat. Boom. That's the feeling that you're getting inside of you. So she meets him, you know, at that place at a a really fancy hotel in like the lobby Mm -hmm. bar. I think it was. And that meeting spot plays a big role to me because it's a fancy hotel. And when you start thinking of, you know, where are we going to meet? Meeting at a fancy hotel, it seems safe. It's not a dodgy place. So being at this hotel, being there, knowing that he's staying in this place, for a lot of people, it gives an illusion of safety. It's a false illusion of safety, but being rich and wealthy a lot of the time is an illusion itself. It's a form of sleight of hand. You know, so if he's staying there within the hotel, all of this must be true. It's a really interesting part of this because it's an insinuation happening. You know, you're showing it, but you're insinuating that this is reality. And I think the meeting place 
on top of everything here really plays a, a giant role. You know, then he starts playing up that he is a dad. You know, all of a sudden you're like, oh, this guy's a dad. He has pictures. He, you know, he's uh, at his home. He didn't, uh, he's divorced from his wife. All of a sudden you see him as a family man. You see him as mm-hmm. someone who loves his kids where you're like, oh my God. Like, so you're looking at him at a different way. It's exciting, but you're, this guy's also taking care of stuff. And you then, you know, besides the, you're getting kind of like this trust building right away. He's telling you about his life, but you're also telling him about yours. And you, she eventually does sleep with him and she sees these things on his, on his back, these marks on his back. And then he plays the victim. These are things that happened to me in South Africa. And at that point, he starts to tell her about more of the threats that can happen in his life. And so you're getting fear. You're getting a life threat. He's now painting this story for you to buy into. So he's victim playing. He's creating a backstory for explanations that could possibly occur. So he's already working on excuses for lots of things, where he might go, why he disappears, why he might need money. He's, he's planting the seeds of all of this while sweeping someone up in everything. And at this point, you're not thinking anymore a lot, like when someone has this idea of who you are, and this is done in day one. And this person swept up in all these emotions, exciting everything. And, you know, at that point, your judgment is out the window here a little bit. And mm-hmm. a lot of people will shame that person and, and they won't understand the psychology of what's going on. But for her, this is the perfect psychology that could happen. This might be the only thing that would kind of take her here. So, and it's, it's just really, really quick. And, you know, she at one point sees him on Tinder and he has new pics and everything. And it's a red flag and she should trust her gut. But she doesn't trust her gut because all these other things are are being kind of explained. So these are like right away here. And this is pretty quick. And with her story, the one thing we don't get is how long everything happened, like how long the duration yeah. was. The, the last person we see, we know that it was 14 months. But for the first yeah. person – we really have no idea how quick it was, but we know at least by the month mark, that is where uh, the guy says to her that his life is in danger and she must help him. And so th- that's when she helps him with like a credit card and things like that, where a lot of people would say like, hey, don't do that. But she's kind of all in here. And his life is in danger. He shows pictures to uh, her of of her his bodyguard getting uh, like with a cut on his head, bleeding. They're in an ambulance. All of these things. And at that point, when he asks her for money, and she's kind of in, he's he's like all the seeds have been sown, and now uh, the fog has come into the situation. And mm-hmm. so that is fear, obligation, and guilt for people that are not familiar with the terms. And if you have fear, obligation, and guilt that is running you, then you have control of a situation. And at this point, uh, that is what is going on. She has the fear, not just of uh, his life, but in a way her own in life as well. Uh, obligation, she feels obligated to him at this point because it is her boyfriend and she's so infatuated with what's going on. She feels that there's an obligation there. And then there's the guilt aspect of everything. He needs her help. And, and it's so crazy to think that this is someone who's played off that they are a like multi multi-millionaire's son in the diamond business Mm -hmm. who has a ridiculous amount of money 
but he's concocted such a story that he needs her money. And he did a masterful job of explaining all of that. And then her guilt takes over because he's so good at his job of just being a con man. And that's when the first bit of money is given away. And it starts off small, you know, with, you know, the promise of giving it back. And I'm not sure with her specifically, but I know with others, he did pay them back little bits at the beginning to kind of mm-hmm. keep, to, to, to show that they are trustworthy. You know, that's what a real good con will do. They'll start, they'll pay you back at the beginning, those little amounts to be like, oh, I can trust him. He pays me back. But they're waiting for the big score. And I'm not sure if he did that specifically with her. I know he did that with others. But that's how he really starts getting all of them. And at this point with her, with the first, like, charge on her Amex, this is when she's in real trouble because she truly believes everything is go- that is going on. And she's hook, line, and sinker into the whole entire love bombing aspect because it was masterfully done. Well, and and well, I just wanted to say, like, I know that you were talking about um, how it sort of progressed, like, in the beginning. And he was very good at, like you just said love bombing and throughout the documentary it it will screen screen cap like their messages or whatever like it'll show the their whatsapp messages back and forth and you can tell that he's really baiting her to you know into the whole future faking and she i think she talked about oh he like he really just like loves what i have to say and that type of dating tactic where she just fell very hard because he seemed so genuine. And I think that was a huge part of it, you know? And the other things that I forgot to put in there was he also was future faking saying, I'm going to build a family with you, which she, which she bought into as well, which many of you hear as well. And he was also making her afraid of his enemies. He was always mentioning that. He was always instilling fear in her. He was sowing those seeds really hard from the beginning. And I think of all the three characters, she is the one that is the most sympathetic in the sense of you know, she's telling her story at the beginning and she's doing it with a smile on her face. You know, she's, yeah. she's really doing it with a smile yeah. on her face. But then there's the part of her story where it turns and, yeah. you know, she says, uh, I, she goes, the person on the phone was no longer my boyfriend. Just a darkness. Yeah. There's just a darkness there. And she started at that point, she kind of started crying, uh, and because she started to, to, to really describe how much money she started giving him, giving him, and how much it was destroying her, and the the pain on her face was the crux of of the whole. If she didn't have that pain on her face, to me, the documentary might not have come across as the way it did, but. She was well, because, sorry, yeah. no, because like in essence, I think what you're describing is that like she is that whole like Disney idea where it's like she's very naive, she's very idealistic, she believes in the good of people, she just wants to fulfill like dreams of happiness and like and it's it's very good natured and very trusting. So I think that's why she presents herself as that way, because that's who she is deep down. She's just that, like, that is who she is. She doesn't, she doesn't look into the world and see that things are bad. And so when she does break, you know, okay, like, this really broke her, but it's not her. Like, that's why this happened to her, because it was so easy 
for her to fall into that trap because that's how she views the world. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's, what's interesting is I say a lot on the show is sometimes it's these innocent beliefs that can trap you and everyone right. has their own belief system and a lot of the times those belief systems can get you in trouble. They can be very good, but some some of them can get you in trouble. And this person's belief system was a very innocent belief system. And it exactly. got put into the into the wrong hands. And that person could have destroyed her and in many intents and purposes it did. And in, in a way, in the middle of the story, it did. And she was a shell of herself. And she was scaring herself of the way she was, was, was thinking. And it was really sad to see because you saw that person's wide-eyed look and the glow and the sparkle in their eye at the beginning. And then to see them uh, all the way down at, into a depression and how low they sunk. It was re- it was hard to watch. That person, one of the hardest things to listen to them say was that, you know, they were crying about this whole situation and how tough it was because they were still in love with that person. And that is, I'm sure, what a lot of people out there, you, you, you have the exact same feeling. This person has done something terrible to you. You're feeling so low of what is going on, but you still love them. And, and she was trying to figure out that those feelings of why I still love this person. And then really coming to the idea of like that person didn't exist. The thing that she loved didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing. A lot of, it depends how you view things. A lot of people view it in, in that way. And that's a, a thing that's hard for people to wrap their brain around. A lot of other people see things in the sense of that person did exist. And like, that's how they were. That is part of them. But she then found out the Jekyll and Hyde version of this person when she couldn't really help anymore. And the other person, uh, the second person in the story really saw the Jekyll and Hyde version of this person when she was helping him and then not helping him and was helping him Mm -hmm. and wasn't helping him. So, and, and a lot of people in these situations, when you get a, an abuser and they really need something from you, they're acting on their best behavior. But in the same sentence, if you start not playing along with their, their game, they go the other way really fast from exactly from I love you to you're the biggest bitch in the world in a split second. And they started to experience that from him. And, you know, he may have been a con man in the true con man sense, but uh, he still exhibits all of the uh, traits and, and breakdowns of an abuser and abusive relationship, even though his motive was purely money. Yeah, no, it, it's hard, I think, for for the, you know, the people in the film to come to terms with the fact that it was an, a complete con, like everything was, right? Not just the, the money part or whatever, but um, yeah, he was a masterful con artist. And, and, and like the craziest part is that he was playing... Like he was using the one person's money to spend on the next person. And like, it was just this crazy cycle of, you know, you know, taking from one to give to the other. And just, it was just awful how he was, how, how like quickly he was moving this money. So the one character that there really is no information about is when they do the story, uh, the, when when they start checking up on the story of the original crimes from like 2015, there were three people that were testified against him that he took money from. And one of those people is, turns out to still be in his life. And 
is part of his life still, even though in 2015 she accused him. So in a lot of ways, that character, uh, you know, is probably still trauma bonded. We never know that person's name. We never see her face. We only see the back of her head in a scene. And it seems like she's the mother of his child. And she's just going along with these things still, even though she might have been swindled by him at first a very long time ago, but could still be trauma bonded to her, to him in, in many ways. We just never find out any of that information because she's never interviewed. She's never caught for anything. She's never arrested for anything. And I found that to be an interesting part, which I wish they would be able to find her and ask her questions about her life with him. But it's something that I don't think they'll ever be able to. Well, they know who she is. Like the people who made the show know she is. But I don't know if unless they offered her a lot of money, I don't know if they'll ever know who or, or will ever know who she is. Okay, you're talking about the. The mother that's on the plane that talks to the girl and tells her, like, oh, he's such a great guy. Correct. She's part of the scam later on, but early on in the uh, original documents that they find on him uh, through the Internet, the three women complained about him and took him to court because they were swindled, and she was one of them. I I would think that she becomes somebody that I mean it's hard to say but maybe he just paid her off right because like it's oh she's the mother of she's the mother of his child right exactly so he probably kind of made his own deal with her and just she goes along with it but I would love I would love for them to be able to talk to her and like because she's part of the facade yeah very true. Because her being her being there on the plane with the original girl uh, that the, that's in this story, that made her feel so much more comfortable about him that she was there on the plane with the child as well. You know, that puts her I at mean, ease. It, I mean, it did, but I feel like he was somebody that would have gone along with it anyway. To be honest, <laughs> true, but at the same like, time, like I really do think that. But but yeah, I know what you're saying. Like it just provides an extra layer of believability to the story of what is going on. She's a, she's just yeah, you know. So it's like a witness, like to be like, oh no, like I I can vouch for him. Like he's a good guy. Correct. You know, you're not in you're not in in an unsafe environment. She could have gone on the plane and it was like all dudes or something, right? But instead. There's this woman that, you know, like, it just seems like a safer place. Like, oh, like, he is a good guy. Like, look at all these people that are, you know, friends with him or whatever. So I think, you know, is there more you want to discuss about that? Like, those are the kind of the things that happen in, in it. And, and it really mimicked, for people that haven't watched it, people, it's a really good lesson of uh, how these things can happen. And the belief systems that people have that can kind of take them a little bit further uh, than you normally wouldn't go and how they were, you know, that's, you know, he was fishing for a specific type of person. What that person does is they fish and they fish and they fish and they fish. And most likely, you know, that guy fished and fished and fished and most likely no one would go to the hotel, but she did go to the hotel. And that, and then once you're there, most likely most people would not get on that airplane, but she did. And that's what he's counting on. He's counting on that type of personality and to be swept up in all these things and that belief system for those people to get on the plane. And once they're there, he knows he probably has a really good chance at that point of swindling someone's money. I'd love to know that like, from him uh, of the people who actually got on the plane with him to go, how many of what it was the percentage of people that actually then sent money to him 
and compared to like, you know, how many did he have to do? And that would be really interesting to hear is like uh, from that perspective of how many people came to the hotel, got onto the plane, then how many people from uh, the plane actually gave him money. And during that night of people coming to his hotel, how many people did he have come to the hotel before, you know, he found one? How long did he stay in a specific town at the same time? Well, I I think we do have to just kind of say one point here is that this is a very, very specific denomination of society that we're talking about. This is a very classist story. This, like we're talking about a person with means preying on other people with means, like you know, in no universe would this man be preying upon people that were like poor or had didn't have, you know, wealthy families or whatever. So obviously he's seeking out people that have some kind of wealth. Yeah, who who at least looks like they have the means to help him or an or could get credit to help him. Right. They're, that's the thing. They're they're lo- they're looking for people with good credit. But it's not even just that, because if you think about it, like, we're talking about black Amexes and shit. Like, this is not like, oh, I just took it alone. But, like, like he, he knows what he's looking for. He's looking for very specific people. So, in a way, just to say, like, you know, he, it is a very specific group of people that I think he's targeting. But, um... I didn't think about that in that sense that like he needed someone that could just didn't have not just money, but had the ability to if they if he needed them to get extra credit, that he could figure out how to get them extra credit and that they had exactly. to have they had to have good credit or good standing within society. So he was looking, you know, for that go getter kind of um or, or 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 the what's the best way to put it? The bottle service type people. Yes, um, there's actually there's another documentary. I think it's on Netflix called like it's about a con man again, and he went after spoiler people, please. But spoiler alert: he went after a girl because he knew that her family owned a farm. So he knew that if he conned her properly, that he would have the rights or the, you know, the money to her farm. Like there's like, it's very pre-planned in that sense, I think. But, and I think it is too, with a lot of the abuse stories that we hear that they go after people that they know because there's financial abuse always, pretty much. You know, they go after people that either are really good with their money or have come from money but are, like, responsible with it or, like, whatever, however you put it. But I think that's definitely a big aspect of it. Uh, so, so that was the Tinder swindler, and that's how, you know, the Disney – the Disneyfication of things can can get you into trouble, and it's shown in the Tinder swindler, in my opinion. And that's only my opinion, but um, so you know, it's been three years, and we just did it. We just did our three year anniversary episode here. Um, how are you feeling? What's going on? And where are we going to go from here? I just want to say that it's. So great that this podcast is here still, and I love this podcast, and I love you, and I want it to have success for many years to come. Well, thank you, and I want to thank you. I want to thank every single guest we've ever had on the show that made it to air and and didn't make it to air as well for everyone sharing their story with me. And I want to thank everyone for, for listening uh, to the show for letting us into your lives and for, you know, just, you know, it's 
been a really strange trip to be involved in this from starting off and and not realizing what I was actually doing. And that is the truth. Uh, it's hard to fathom that you just start talking into a microphone over an RSS feed and it just gets into people's uh, lives and that you become part mm-hmm. of people's lives and that it becomes a positive part of, of people's lives. And it's hard to grasp because I never really interact with people on a daily basis. And I think that, you know, sometimes the internet is amazing and sometimes the internet is terrible. And this is one of those situations where it's absolutely amazing that people are able to hear other people's stories that they would never have heard before and that they can get the validation that they need. And it's an honor to be a conduit in a way of facilitating all of these stories. And I know how important that is for everyone uh, to be validated. And it's to me, the most important thing anyone can have in their life to validate their life, their situation, their, their marriage, their relationship, uh, their childhood, uh, everything that is going on with them to finally have someone say, yes, I know that is happening. And to have the backing of that people and not just have the backing of, of me, but everyone who's listening to the show. And it creates a sense of movement for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of the last three years. And it's really been interesting to meet so many different people and have different people uh, get involved in the show. And you all know who you are. Uh, for the people that are in our support group who on a weekly basis, I, I see I'm not there all the time. I'm there most of the time. I think one person a while ago said like, you really don't uh, do things on Saturday nights, do you? But, you know, I'm usually there. <laughs> um, and it's really just been an honor to be part of, of all of this. And we're hopefully grow bigger in the sense of being able to create uh, more things for people. We have some ideas of things we want to do. We just have to grow a little bit bigger and hopefully get um, longer term kind of sponsors for the show in the process of doing things to help us with those initiatives. And it's, you know, I've you know, reiterated a million times. I just want to thank everyone uh, for, for everything. And, you know, I think, I think that's it. Have I covered everything there, Melissa, my old pal, Melissa? Yeah, that was, that was so beautifully said. Really, 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 really nice the way that you said all of that and wrapped it all up. And I think that, you know, if everyone could hear the last minute or two of, of what you just said, then they would really understand the impact of this podcast and they would see, you know, truly like this is, this is your passion and this is what you care about. And this is that, that was like your heart right there speaking. So I feel that, that that's just it. Like that, that was a great like third year anniversary speech right there. I think everyone understands what you're about and, well, the, the crazy I'm thing just, that I'm just so grateful to be to have been a part of it and to still be a part of it, and yeah, it's just like it's very honoring to and a privilege to know people that have been through this. And I listen religiously to the podcast; like I can't not listen. I look forward to hearing it every week. So, yeah. And the crazy, really, one of the craziest thing is that is that three years ago when we recorded the first episode, when this was not the Mm -hmm. intention of at all. And a lot of people say like, these are the best stories when 
something is created that never intended. And I always, always, in my mind, I was like, I always love those stories where, you know, synchronicities happen or just happenstance and, you know, just uh, those types of feelings. And you never think it will happen to you. You kind of want it to happen to you in some sort of way, but you never think that's going to happen to you. And then it happens to you. And, you know, the feeling you get from doing it not out of, you know, this is my plan. This is how things are going to go. Blah, 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 blah. I'm going to follow, you know, this, this script to get this to get. This was just you, we, you went and you kind of hit yeah. the ground running and you caught up while you went along and you're like, I'm a, well, I'm a problem solver. That's kind of what I am or what I, the way I always think like, Oh, here's a problem. Let's figure out a way to fix it. You know, I like, I was in my family, I'm a fixer. And how was my voice there? I'm a family. I'm a fixer. And (laughs) that's why my voice went there. And, And, you know, I guess part of this was like, Oh, there's, there's a problem here. There's this kind of little gap and we're filling that gap. And, then like we're looking at it in the sense of, well, what are the other gaps that we can fill here? And, you know, what are the, what are the problems? How we can, how can we make someone's life easier, uh, better? And, you know, where are the blind spots in all of this? And it, we're, we're pretty small to fill blind spots because there's a much larger entities that are working on those things like one mom's battle, it, you know, with post-separation abuse, we're going to have next week, we're going to have um, this place called Custody Peace and th- what they're doing for the, the Me Too family court child movement. And, you know, there's a lot of other organizations that are filling these big gaps, but, you know, there's all these little cracks and, and hopefully we can be one of those fillers of cracks. And that's how we're doing things and helping people when, they're at their bottom to give them momentum or get them the momentum they need to leave and being like a stepping stone uh, to get them to where they have to go to those other places. So I I think that's what we're doing and hopefully we can fill bigger gaps as, as we go on. And obviously there are people that listen to the show that don't need to listen to the show anymore. And hopefully we'll soon have a place or a thing for them to listen to as well and that process of, of moving forward, which is also a thing people need and uh, we want to be part of as well. So um, we have ideas. We just, you know, we're right now we're um, a small group <laughs> that are doing it. Anyway. Yeah. Well, so. I mean, and the thing about it, I think the thing that you're pointing to is that like things happened organically. And at the time when we, when you made this podcast, you and I were in a process of like almost co-regulating one another. <laughs> we had like come off a couple years of kind of chaos and we were like good friends and that's what we were doing. We were literally like, I'm going to help you through this thing that you're going through because I'm sort of going through it too. And like, we just developed that like language of, oh, we're just going to, like, check in with each other. And and then you were like, oh, like, maybe we just, like, we we were bouncing ideas off each other about how to maybe make something out of that. And then that's when you came up with different ideas about your book and then the podcast. And then that's how it got created. So it came out of, like, a place of, like, very organic sort of, two people talking, but talking like in depth and two people that know a lot about each other and trying to help each other and being vulnerable with each other. And I think that that's a formula that sticks because people can really relate. And I hope that, I hope that people are still listening (laughs) for that exact reason. And, you know, or you mean like right now, 
Like you hope they're still listening well, yeah, while we're exactly. talking right now. <laughs> I mean, right this very fucking second. I hope people are not like, skip, like fucking, like just end this shit. Well, no, I a mean, lot of, a lot of people still, yeah. still email me saying, yeah, you know, you always talked about that book early on. When's that thing coming out? So <laughs> I, I've, I'm getting back to doing that and the wheels are kind of in motion and I think that's pretty much it for this show. That's it right there. So, you know, I just want to thank you once again. I want to thank everyone that's helped with the show once again. Uh, Mulder to uh, Billy Jean to everyone else behind the scenes who's who's helped out a lot in the, uh, you know, the different versions of the show a big thank you to all the guests to everyone that listens and you know as i usually do before we end off the show you know for anyone that really wants to be a guest on our show we can never have enough stories so please do email me at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com with your story or you can go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com and you can click on the guest form button and you'll all the instructions are there so even if you email me please do go and read all of our instructions and you know, thank you once again to uh, uh, a place that's been great to us, which is domesticshelters.org. So if you or someone you know are experiencing abuse and you need extra help, you need more information, uh, articles, things along those lines, uh, ways to get in touch with shelters, please do go to domesticshelters.org. It's a wonderful organization. And they're helping us to so many people. So if you need extra support, go there. We also on our on our website have our own support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And you click on the support page button, support group button at the top of the page there. And it takes you to our very own safe social network. So if you need extra support, go there as well. And just really a big thank you to everyone. So for myself and for my old pal, Melissa, we hope you have a good night.